uh, it's a real joy to be here. I think the last time I came and spoke in uh, Grace Assembly was many, 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 many years ago. It could be more than 10 years ago. But uh, anyway, it's a real joy to be here and uh, to be with so many uh, young people. I came to the Lord when I was 12 years old uh, in secondary one. And I came from a background in which we, I had no uh, Christian context whatsoever. And so the first time I heard about Jesus and I heard about the gospel was really in school. I went to a uh, mission school, a Methodist school. And, uh, and from there, the Lord just touched me just through the daily devotions where they would read passages of scriptures. And, you know, and I, I just came, you know, um, and after a couple of months of just hearing the word of God, you know, I gave my life to the Lord. And when I gave my life to the Lord, the Lord spoke to me very clearly at the age of 12 years old that he had called me into full-time ministry. At the age of 12, at that moment, I had no idea what full-time ministry uh, was. I've never been to church. I've only been to school. Never read the Bible as yet. And, uh, but God has been faithful and since then. You know, um, I've progressively made uh, um, steps in my, in, my, in my walk with God. I've grown. And of course, in the year 2001, I responded to the call of God and came into full-time ministry. I've been in full-time ministry 22 years. I'm married. I've got three natural kids of my own and four others that we have looked after, raised, and some are still looking after at this point. And uh, so it's a real joy to be with you guys here. I want to share this uh, evening with you all about what it means to thrive where you are, thriving where you are. And I want to look at uh, the life of uh, Daniel and his three friends from the book of Daniel. And I think that when it comes to Daniel and his three friends, it is some of the most loved stories or accounts in the Bible. Amen. And it is so loved that many of the accounts have been, you know, put into, you know, um, uh, children's Bibles. They've been included in some of the most well-known um, uh, accounts in the Word of God that is recounted, especially to children. Amen. Who can forget about, you know, uh, Daniel in the lion's den, you know, or the three friends in a fiery furnace, and uh, these various accounts uh, of the exploits of Daniel and his three friends. But what I want to do this evening is I want to take a step back because the life of Daniel and his friends gives us such a profound sense of what it means to live in an environment that is not Christian, amen, which is where we find ourselves in. Almost all of us, we live here in our nation in Singapore, a secular nation. We go to schools that are mostly perhaps not a Christian environment. In fact, more and more as Christians, we find ourselves living in an environment that is increasingly uh, hostile towards Christians. And this is exactly what Daniel and his friends found themselves to be living in. They were living in a culture, in an environment that did not accept their faith. And not only did they survive, but they also thrived and they excelled. Amen. That's what they did. You know, Daniel excelled so much that he was, you know, uh, he served not just one king, but he fought, served four different kings during his time that came from two different empires. And it was as though Daniel and his friends were always evergreen. They were always, doesn't matter what the environment was like, they were always able to thrive. And that's what I want to share with us this evening about how we can thrive wherever God has placed us. Amen. And I want to draw and glean lessons from the life of Daniel and his friends. And there are three things I want to share with us this evening. If time permits, I'll share all three. If time does not permit, I'll do two, okay? We'll see how the Lord leads on this. Now, the first thing I want to share with you about uh, a principle that can be gleaned is that there was a change 
of name. One of the first things as uh, you read the book of Daniel, you can go back and you can read it. It is in the Old Testament. Uh, if you flip your Bibles right down the middle, okay, and then uh, turn a little bit to the left, you'll come, you'll come to Daniel somewhere, okay? So you can search for that, okay? But what we are told is one of the first things that's, that's done to Daniel and his friends when they were taken from Israel and brought into captivity in Babylon was that his, the Babylonian captors gave them new names, amen? Now, the original name, of course, we know uh, Daniel. How many of you know the, th the names of the three friends, okay? It is essentially Hananiah, Mishael, and uh, Azariah. And uh, I've done a simple table uh, here, and I want to show you the names and what each of the names mean, okay? We're going to stick around there for a little while. And according to Daniel chapter 1, verse 7, when they went with these Jewish names, but the Babylonian captors gave them new names, amen? Daniel was renamed Belteshazzar, Hananiah was renamed Shadrach, Mishael was renamed as Meshach, while Azariah was renamed Abednego. And of course, this is the names that we are familiar with. When I was growing up, you know, they would teach us in Sunday school how to remember these names, right? Daniel and then his three friends, which is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They will used to tell me this, it is your Shadrach, my Shadrach, and his, uh, never mind, okay, bad joke. But in any ways, when you look at these three names that are given, okay, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it seems as though these names are quite uh, innocuous, right? The main Belteshazzar means bell, not protect the king, okay? And um, I'm going to explain this a little bit. Shadrach means the inspiration of sun. Meshach means, uh, uh, its meaning is pretty much unknown, possibly a shadow of a prince or the name of a god, and Abednego, the servant of the shining fire. And when you look at these, you might wonder, what does these names mean? Okay, but in any, way, in any case, Bible scholars have done a deep study into these names, and somewhere in 1988, they indicated that most likely these were not the actual names that were given to these four men when they were in Babylon. Okay, And in fact, the person who wrote the book of Daniel, which is Daniel himself, most likely, he altered the names. Okay, And the reason is because these Babylonian names, on their own itself, they really don't carry much meaning. But in those days, names were given and names had to have some kind of a meaning. So coupled with archaeological findings and, you know, and some of the old documents or artifacts that were found, you know, it is now believed that the actual Babylonian names that were given to the, th the four of them is not, we can show that on the screen, it's not Belteshazzar, but it is Belshazzar, which means Bel protect the king. Uh, you know, it's not Shadrach, it is Shadakaku, which means under the command of Aku, and it's Mishaku, who is like Aku, which is the moon god, and Abed Nebo, which is slave of the god of wisdom, Nebo. Why is this so? Okay, these names actually closely relate to the different gods that were in existence in Babylon in those days, right? Belshazzar means Bel will protect the king, right? Can you imagine? It's strange that Bel is one of the principal gods in Babylon, and then they would name Daniel Belteshazzar, which means Bel don't protect the king, right? So that actually doesn't make sense. But when Daniel was writing the book of Daniel, in order not to include you know, these pagan names into the, into, the, into the book that he's written, he changed it, he tweaked these names, amen, so that it ends up meaning, you know, it's, it ends up becoming a lot more innocuous. So all these things you don't have to remember, okay, maybe you can flash it one more time, you can take, it, uh, take one more look, and um, you don't have to remember this, this is not examinable, this is not going to be in your final year exam, so don't worry about it, okay? But I do want to make a point, okay? And the point is simply this, that the world and the culture will always seek to rename us 
according to its own purpose. You see, in the Bible, names are not just random. Sometimes, you know, in our days today, we give names to kids because, hey, it's the most popular name today, right? I don't know if you have, uh, you know, noticed some of the celebrities who gave the names to their children. They named them Apple. They named them some strange name and things like that. And maybe we are going for something that is a little bit more trendy. But in the Bible, this is not so. Names have a meaning and names actually define the destiny of a person, right? Think about names like Jacob. Jacob was called Supplanter, and God came and he changed his name to Israel because God intended for Jacob to be a prince, right? God changed the name of Abram, which is father, to Abraham, which is father of fathers, amen? And because it has to do with what is our destiny. I want to say this to us young people that, you know, I want to tell us this, that God has a unique name for every single one of us. You know, when I got born again, you know, um, before I got born again, I was given a name, and my parents gave me that name, you know, and they were not Christians. But when I became a Christian, I began to ask the Lord, and says, Lord, what is the name that you have for me? I trust that many of us, maybe we, are, we have parents who are Christians, and when they gave names for us, maybe they prayed and they asked God, and says, Lord, what is the name that you want to give to our child? Because the name has got to do with your destiny and your calling. For all three of my boys, I pray and ask God for what is the name that they are to be given. So my oldest son is called Aaron, my middle son is called Samuel, and my youngest son is called David. So in my household, I have a priest, I have a prophet, and I have a king. I got the Old Testament covered, okay? But there is a sense of God's purpose and destiny for them. You see, young people, I want to tell you this, that the world will want to define for you what is your purpose and what is your destiny. But I'm telling you that those things will never fulfill. Those things will always leave you empty. When you watch television, when you watch the celebrities, they will always paint for you a sense of what success is. But if you get defined by the culture and the world and you start pursuing those definitions of success, I promise you, you will run high and dry and at the end of it, you'll be empty. And you'll never fulfill. You'll find yourselves trying to do something that you're not designed to do. Right? And especially here in Singapore, because we're a small country, and the policy of our educational system is to see what our economy requires and then tell our people, hey, we need more engineers. Whether you like it or not, we're going to make you an engineer. But I want to suggest and tell you this, that God doesn't just want us, He doesn't want us to conform to the patterns of this world, but He wants us to discover that He has a plan for our lives. Amen. At the age of 12 years old, God spoke to me about His plan for my life. Even at that time, I had no idea what it means to come into full-time ministry, but God began to speak to me and show me what is it He's wanted me to do. And I'm saying this, you know, I'm not saying that my job has no difficulties. I'm not saying that I've never felt challenges, but I'm telling you this, no matter how difficult the work is, I'm, I feel completely fulfilled and in the right place and satisfied with where God has called me to. I want to encourage you young people, if you feel this inside of you, that you're being squeezed to become someone that you are not. What you sense is the world trying to conform you and to give you a name and to assign you a name that doesn't line up with the name that God has given to you. And I promise you, if you will ask the Lord and say, God, I want to know what is the name that you've given to me. 
You see, Jeremiah the prophet said this in the book of Jeremiah. He says that while I was still in my mother's womb, he called me and separated me as a prophet unto the nations. You see, while you are being formed, God already has a plan for your life. And the greatest thing that can happen for us is to discover the plan that God has. I want to tell you the two greatest moments of our lives. The first is when we find Jesus. For real. Let me, can I say this? You cannot be born as a Christian. Just because your parents are Christians doesn't make you a Christian. That's why the Bible says you need to be born again. And you need to encounter Jesus. Every one of us needs to encounter Jesus for ourselves. And when you finally encounter Jesus and you discover that he loves you and he knows you by name, I'm telling you that's one of the most important days of your life. The second most important day of your life is when you discover what is God's call and destiny for you. And sometimes, like myself, at the age of 12, we might suddenly discover it. And even then, I only know a little bit. But I want to say that most of us begins to discover it through a process of walking with the Lord. And it begins to stir our hearts about these things. Amen. I want to encourage you to know what is your name. Amen. You see, culture will always try to define for you who you are. And one of the most important things for us to realize is that we belong to Jesus. Amen. You see, for so long in the church, we preach to people and we say, come to the altars and get saved. We introduce Jesus as Savior to people, but we have not introduced Jesus as Lord. And there is something about Lordship. God wants us to give our lives and surrender our lives to Him. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9, it says, if you will declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, our salvation comes from our confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. His Lordship is not divisible from His work of salvation in our lives. When we give our lives to Jesus, we cannot just say, Lord, I want that salvation, but I'm not going to follow you. And the Lordship of Christ, let me tell you, is expressed by, in one of the key ways it is expressed is through the Ten Commandments. Amen. I don't know how, my, how many of you still find the Ten Commandments fashionable, but I want to tell you this, that the Ten Commandments never goes out of fashion. You see, the problem is this. For most of us, we have never really studied the Ten Commandments, and we think that the Ten Commandments is a list of ten things of do's and do not do's. Right? And we think it's a, it's a set of laws that confines us, but can I tell you the Ten Commandments is far more than that. Do you know that without the Ten Commandments, there will be no civilization that we know today all over the world? There will be no Singapore. Do you know that without the definition of the Ten Commandments, there's no such thing called personal ownership of things, right? There's no such thing called, you know, um, you know um, monogamy, where there's one person married to another person. All these things were given shape when the Ten Commandments were given to mankind through the nation of Israel. But can I also say this, that if you take time to study the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments actually shows you something about your identity. The commandments define for you your identity. I want to show you very quickly in this thing, and I, I know that we don't really have time to run through all these in detail, but I want to just quickly reference us to the first four commandments. The first commandment is you shall have no other God. The second is you shall not make idols. The third, you shall not take his name in vain. The fourth is that you shall keep the Sabbath holy. 
And each of them speaks about an important aspect of our life. You shall have no other God talks about our worship. You see, ladies and gentlemen, I don't know, I don't care who you are. There are people today in Singapore who says, I'm a free thinker, I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God, I don't worship God. Let me tell you this, there is no such thing as a human being that does not worship something. Because if they won't worship a deity, you know what? They worship themselves. They worship the money, they worship their wealth, they worship their knowledge. There is something that they are putting and esteeming, that they are giving their whole lives to. That is what worship. Worship is to ascribe worth to something. Amen? What is the most worthy thing in your life? That is what you worship. That is where your adoration is given. So I want to say this. I'm telling you, every other worship is going to bind you and make you a slave to it. But only the worship of God is going to set you free. Only the worship of God is going to bring you to a place of freedom and liberty of knowing who you are. Amen. And then the taste, do not, you shall not make idols. And that has got to do with our works. So many times our works becomes our God. We pour all our attention into our studies and our studies become our God. Not too long ago, there was a young lady in our church was in a very elite school here in Singapore. Her results were fantastic by any means, but somehow it was not good enough for her. So at the, at the age of 15, she went up on a high building and she ended her life. A precious destiny and future ended because she thought that her results are not good enough. I want to say to all of us, then we need to surrender our works to God. Amen? We need to put that before the Lord. But not just that. The Bible, the, the third commandment says, you shall not take His name in vain. And so many times we just think that, hey, this commandment means that you not use God's name as a swear word. You know, today, when you switch on Netflix or you go to movies, I tell you, it's almost unavoidable that there'll be some swear word using the name of Jesus. Amen? Have you ever watched movies and noticed that they never use any other God's name to swear? When they kick their legs accidentally and, ah, pain, you know, they don't use some other God's name. They always use Jesus, right? Why is that so? Why is there an, always an attack on the name of Jesus? Maybe because that name is powerful. Maybe that name really is the true name of God, right? But, but not taking the, name, the, the Lord's name in vain is more than that. It's about our words. What do we do with our words? What do we say about God? What do we say as believers that do not bring disrepute to his name? You see, there are many people who do not know Christ yet. In, in, just in Singapore alone, if you go back to your schools, many of them don't know Jesus. And most people don't know Jesus because they've never met a Christian before. And then many of them don't want to become a Christian because they met a Christian. <laughs> what kind of a testimony are you and I? Amen. Do we bring God's name into disrepute? Do we carry a name and say, I'm Christian, I'm Christian, and then we behave in a way that defiles his name? That people say, wow, if that's a Christian, I don't want to be a Christian. Amen. Amen. You guys are awfully quiet today. Finally, it's about keeping the Sabbath holy, and that's about our week and what our time is given over to you know, I got the six other commandments given. You know, I'm not going to go through it, but if you want, maybe we can just uh, flesh it. And um, 
for the older ones, perhaps if you want to take a look at this, you want to get the slides, you know, feel free to do that. I think that's the fifth, sixth, and seven. The next one, eight, nine, ten. Okay, ten commandments. You know, and each of them is far more than just a set of do's and don'ts. Okay, and I want to say this: that these commandments are not there just to govern and control human behavior. When you go to school, the teacher will tell you your hair must be how long, how short. You know, it's always there to govern your behavior. Let me tell you, the Ten Commandments is not there to govern behavior. The Ten Commandments is far more than that. If you give yourself to study the Ten Commandments and to look at it and to memorize it, it'll define who you are. There is a becoming that you are. You see, I tell Mike, I, I, I put the Ten Commandments right, you know, at the, at the entrance of my house. Because when my kids come back home, the first thing I want them to see is I want them to see the Ten Commandments. When they leave the house, the first thing I want them to see is I want them to see the Ten Commandments. Amen? Because there's something powerful. It's incredible. The Ten Commandments have given birth to civilizations. And if we would do that, it will give birth to who you are in you. Amen? The second thing, you know, apart from a change of name, is that the world will try to change our diet. You'll try to dictate what we consume. You see, the second situation that arose for Daniel and his three friends is an issue of food. They were presented with food and wine from the king's table. This was probably the choicest of the food available in the whole kingdom of Babylon. Amen. And yet, at the same time, they could not partake of it because many of these food would be considered unclean according to Jewish laws. You know that according to the Old Testament, the Jewish people, they cannot eat pork, correct? They, the food had to be kosher. Today, if you go to Israel, did you know that if you get to visit Israel, in the whole land of Israel, you will not find cheeseburgers, right? You find hamburgers, but no cheeseburger because they don't serve dairy product together with meat, right? According to the Old Testament. You know, they don't serve fish that has no scales, so there's no tuna, okay? No sashimi, okay? They only serve fish that has scales. So there's all, there are all these restrictions in terms of the diets of the Jewish people. And yet when they went there, they were forced to eat all these things that are forbidden, amen, that's offered to idols. And so, the, the, so being Jewish, they couldn't take all this. And I want to say that, again, this is a pic picture for us. This is a, a simile. This is a... You know, a parallel that is painted for us about what culture will seek to do. Culture will always seek to impose a different diet upon you. Culture will want to feed you and make you think the way they want to think. And one of the most effective ways that culture affects us is through the movies, the songs, the Netflix that we watch, the TikTok that we are going after, and all these kind of things. Because all these things, I promise you, has an impact upon you. Amen. It has an impact upon you. It affects the way you think, the way you look at things. Amen. And it is important for us that we are very aware about what our thought diet is like. You know, think about this. You know, when I was growing up, um, as a young kid, we didn't have internet in our times. We didn't have flat screen TVs. Our TVs were very, very big, you know, with this cathode ray at the back. Many of you will not even understand what that is. I remember the first time we had a television at home, it was black and white. I remember the time when all television became coloured. And then, you know, uh, in those days, you know, uh, Singapore Broadcasting Corporation came into being and we started to broadcast programmes on TV. 
And it wasn't a full day, 24-hour thing like what you have today, right? I remember when, it, when television first started, you know, I think it was 5 p.m., the broadcast will begin, and then by 9 p.m., it will end, right? And then after that, there's no more TV to watch through the day. Those were the days I came from. And I remember as I grew older, there was something on Saturdays called Saturday Matinee. And Saturday Matinee, they would show some film from America on our national television. And for a while, what they would do is they'll show horror and monster films at 2 p.m. on Saturday called Saturday Matinee. I remember enjoying those shows a lot. And as a young kid, I would be terrified by the monsters, the swamp thing, you know, and all these things. But when I look back today, I think to myself, what's there to be scary, scared of? I promise you, all of you, if you saw any of those movies, you will not find it scary at all. You'll find it funny, you'll laugh at it, because you literally can see this guy in a rubber suit walking around, you know? And, you know, and the screams of the people, you know, everything, the acting is so bad. But in those days, because we never saw things like that, it was scary, right? But today, it's different because we've become so acclimatized to a much more realistic level of violence. Amen? How many of you watched the John Wick series? I watched it one to four, right? And man, it's start to end nonstop violence. It's just different ways of killing people, Right? And that's what it is. It's just all about killing people nonstop. And so these are things through which we have become conditioned to. And the movies that we watch becomes progressively more and more violent. We become more and more tolerant. We become more and more acclimatized to these kind of things, the language that is being used. When I was growing up, can I just be honest? When I was growing up, nobody used the F word. Unthinkable. Unthinkable. But today... I know all of us, many of us use that word, right? I know that many teenagers use those words because it appears so often, there's so many people that use it in the movies, you can barely find movies now that doesn't have those words. I want to give you a quotation from Vladimir Lenin. Some of you who study history, you'll know what this man is. He's the father of communism in Russia that spread to China and under communism, Tens of millions of people died. And tens of millions of people were told a lie. But this was the mantra of this man. He said, a lie told often enough becomes the truth. And that's what they did. They kept telling a lie until it became a truth for people. And today, that's what the culture is. The culture loves to lie and lie and lie. You see, there is only one diet that will distinguish for you what is the truth, and that is the Word of God. Amen. I want to encourage us. When I got saved at 12 years old, I wasn't allowed to go to church. I was given a little Bible, a Gideon's Bible that is so tiny that I could hide it in my school bag. I only had the New Testament. I didn't have the Old Testament. But I was so hungry for God's Word the moment I got saved that every day it was a 35 minutes bus ride to my, from my home to school. And the moment I hop onto the bus, I would open my Gideon's Bible and I'll read it. And I would read it. And going home every day, the moment I got on the bus, I would read it. I'm telling you, from sec one to sec four, I read the New Testament over 30 times just by doing that. Because I knew the moment I went home, I would not be allowed to read the Bible. If my parents found me with the Bible, they would take it and they would throw it away. And they had done that before. 
And therefore, for me to be able to read the Word of God is such a privilege. Yet today, many of us, we have seven, eight Bibles at home and we have not read through it once. I want to encourage us, all my boys, all my children, I make them read their Bibles every day. And I take the time to explain to them the wonders of the Word of God. And I want to encourage you, young people, amen. I want to encourage you. I want to pray for you that God will put in your hearts a love for the Word of God. I'm telling you, this book has got the answer to all the problems that you can think about. There are answers to economic issues of this world. There are answers to the climate situation in the world today. There are answers here concerning science, concerning technology, and not just that, about ethics and morals and your personal things that you're, go things that you're going through in your life. The Word of God has such a range of answers for everything that you need in your life. The only thing is this, the Word of God doesn't just reveal itself to everyone. It reveals itself only to those who are hungry, who are thirsty, who are willing to search it out. Amen. You see, many times Jesus, when he was walking on the earth, he would say something and people would get offended and they would leave. And they never got the answer to what Jesus was saying, but the disciples, they would stay behind. And when they stayed behind, they would ask the Lord, Lord, what do you mean by this? And then the Lord would explain it to them. Now, all that is in the word of God. Amen. I want to encourage you to read the Word of God. Amen. The Bible in John 17, verse 15 to 17 says this, I do not pray that you'll take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, just as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. You see, we pray that God will not take you out of the world. We pray that you'll remain where you are, in those schools where there's very few Christian witness, because that's our job as Christians. Our destiny, our purpose as Christians is not to go to heaven. Our purpose as Christians is to be a witness here on the earth and to finish the task that God has given to us. But the only way we're going to do it, that Jesus tells us, is that we need to be sanctified. We need to be separated by His truth, and His truth is His word. His word is true. So this thing will help us distinguish the way that we are supposed to think and act. Do you know that the kingdom of God, the heaven, the faith that you have operates in a very different operating system from this world? It is not Apple iOS. It is not Android. This world will tell you this, that you've got to fight for yourself. This world tells you that if someone punches you on the right, you punch them back on the left. This world will tell you, you know, that you must promote yourself. But the Bible, the Word of God tells you completely different. He says the way up is down. The way to promotion is through humility. The way to gain life is to let go of your life. You see, the things about the kingdom of God is that it is so different from the ways of this world. Amen. And how would you know that unless you begin to study the Word of God, and to begin to read the Word of God. Amen? You know, I've got one more point. I don't think I'll go into it. But I want to speak to us now, one-to-one, -one, in some ways. Because I believe that sitting here in front of me, in this crowd, I don't know any of you. I don't know your names. I don't know your background. But I want to say this, that there is a God who knows you, who sees you. The Bible says this, that He knows the number of hair upon your head. 
Maybe it's easier for him to know me because I got less hair. <laughs> but he knows that. Not only that, the Bible says this, that if you take all the sand in the world from every beach, from all the deserts, from every playground, and you put all the sand together and you count the grains of sand, the Bible tells us that God's thoughts for us is more than all the grains of sand in this world. Can you imagine a God who thinks about you, who loves you, who knows you, who cares for you, and who wants to speak to you? I'm here to tell you this today. I believe it's a word of God for us. Don't let the world define who you are. Amen. I feel the sense of the fact that God wants to speak to us today and show us who he really has called us to be. What is the name that he's given to us? I'm not going to give an altar call for us to come forward. You know, I just don't feel to do that. But I do want to give us an altar call. Because sometimes when we give an altar call as pastors, you know, we go down, we pray for people, and there is an expectation that somebody needs to pray for you. But I really believe this, that God wants to speak to us one-to-one. -one. You don't have to hear what God is saying to you through an intermediary. God's desire is all His children can hear from Him. You see, when God puts His Holy Spirit in you, it's the same Holy Spirit that He's placed in me. Do you know that it is also the same Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us, that raised Jesus up from the dead? And Jesus, you know, he raised Christ all the way from the depths of Sheol, from the bottom of the earth, where he preached to those who are captive, and he raised Christ back to sit, seat him at the right hand of the Father. That's the power of the Holy Spirit that has overcome death. And that Holy Spirit dwells in you just as it dwells in me. And God is your Father just as he's my Father. In the kingdom of God, God is no grandchildren. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. And so I believe God wants to speak to us. You know, as we're sitting, as you are sitting here in this place, I want to ask you just for a moment if you could just close your eyes and bow your heads. I know that this is not going to speak to everybody. I know that we are all at different states, different phases of my life. When my kids were younger, when they were teenagers, you know, my boys went through periods in their life where they didn't want to come to church. They went through periods in their life where they didn't feel like, you know, they, they, they were in doubts about their faith. And they questioned, is Jesus real? I come to church because my parents forced me to come to church. And maybe there are people who are sitting here exactly like that. Maybe you came because you were friends, but not because you actually came for God. Whatever the situation that you might be in, whatever the circumstance that you might be in, I want to ask you if you will give God a chance to show himself to you. I want to ask you, because I'm telling you this, all my life I was not seeking God. I was not searching for meaning. I was not as though I had some grand search looking for God. But it was God who found me. God took the initiative to come looking for me. And I want to say this to all of us. God is taking the initiative to look for every one of us. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're in this place and there is a struggle inside of you over your identity, over who you are, you feel, you feel compressed, you feel, you know, bound, you feel as though, you know, this pressure to be somebody that you are not, 
God wants to come and touch you and speak into your life. God wants to come and show you that he has a plan for your life. If there are people sitting here and you have never come to a sense of witness in your heart that God has a plan for your life, and you are longing and you say, you know, I've been coming to church, but I really need to a touch from God. I really need to know that God is real and He loves me. He's for me. Some of us, we are going through such a sense of abuse in our lives. And we think to ourselves, can anyone, is there anyone there who knows what I'm going through? Is there anyone that loves me? But today, every head bowed, every eye closed, if you are asking the Lord and says, Lord, I just need you to call me by my name. I need to hear your voice, and I need to know that you have a plan for my life. And I want to say this, I'm going to ask you to respond by standing in a short while, but I want to say this, some of you, God will touch you, and he will tell you his plan. You'll call, you'll literally hear a name in the spirit from the Word of God, from the Bible. But some of you, what you'll feel, many of you, I believe, you'll feel this sense of His presence and His assurance. And what's going to happen for most of us is that as we sense this assurance from God, what God is going to do is He's going to begin to effect a process in our lives where He's going to bring us into our identity. Amen. Now, if that is you in this place, every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody's looking around. I want to ask you to stand to your feet right now. I know this is not for everybody, but if you believe, and this is what you desire, you sense that this is what God is speaking to you, would you just stand to your feet right now, and I want to just pray over you. Is there anyone? You just need a fresh touch from God, and you need to know that, hey, He is for you. Thank you so much for standing. Is there anybody else? You don't have to wait for somebody around you, because I'm telling you this, God wants to touch individual people right now. There are times where God comes and He touches a whole congregation of people, but today, this evening, I believe God wants to touch individuals. Is there anybody else? I sense that there is someone here, you're really struggling in your heart, and there is this fight, there is this sense of worthlessness in you. And if that is you, I want to ask you as well to join these people. Just slip up to your feet and, uh, and stand to your feet. And nobody's going to be looking around because today God wants to pour His worth upon you. Thank you so much for those of you who are standing. Is there anybody else? I'm just going to wait for a while longer because I really believe this. Thank you so much. Is there anybody else? I really believe this. Some of you, you're literally going to hear the voice of God tell you, this is what I've called you to do. This is the name that I'm giving to you. I'm just going to wait just for a while longer because, you know, there are times where we stand because there is an atmosphere and there's a sense of rah-rah. But I just feel this gentleness, this gentle drawing of the Holy Spirit and is speaking to hearts right now. Is speaking to hearts right now. Is there anyone else? You know, as you respond, you're responding not just to me, but primarily you're responding to God. God is spirit. God is omniscient. He knows, He sees and knows our thoughts. He hears our thoughts. And for those of you who are standing, I just want to ask you all to be in a posture to receive from the Lord because I really believe that God is going to 
minister to you. God is going to deposit something in your spirits right now. Father, I thank you, Lord. I pray for all my brothers and my sisters who are standing right now before you, oh God. Father, I pray, Lord, that your presence will touch them right now in Jesus' name. Your presence will touch them right now. Father, that above all, they'll know that they are not an accident. They are not incidental. But they'll know that you created them for a reason, for a purpose. You placed them to be born in such a time as this, Lord. Father, I pray for just a sense, a wave of your presence to come over them right now from the crown of their head to the sole of their feet. I pray, Holy Spirit, I invite you to come right now and bear witness visibly in their hearts that they will know that you have drawn close to them. That you have drawn close to them. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Receive him right now. Receive him right now. Receive him right now. There it is. Mashanda Barak Mashete de Borri Kete Revishi Baba Baburimashi. Roca machine and all rete severia, but she cabalaba robe, son and on the rete, see cabalaba Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Father, I thank you that you're depositing a promise, Lord, right now in their hearts. Father, I thank you that you're depositing a compass and a direction, Lord. But not just that, Lord, I really sense that you're depositing, Lord, a, a a push, Lord, into their lives where you'll begin to push them into what you have for them, Lord. You're going to take the initiative upon their lives, oh God, to draw them into what you have for them, oh God. Father, I speak and release that that everything that binds them, everything that lies to them, every false name that has been spoken over their lives will be broken right now in Jesus' name. And I release the new names that you have for your children, Lord the names that came before these false names were given be released over them right now in Jesus' name, oh God. Would we all just stand to our feet right now and I want to bring this to a close. I want to ask all of us if you could just lift up your hands to the Lord. Father, I pray for every young person, every uh, youth, young adult, Lord, every adult that is in this place, Lord. Father, as you did in my heart, Lord, years ago, Lord, where you put in me such a hunger, a hunger for your word, oh God. Father, I remember waking up in the mornings, oh Lord, and feeling so hungry. But I wasn't hungry for breakfast. I wasn't hungry for food. I was hungry for you. I was hungry for your word, oh God. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you'll release, oh God, a divine hunger, Lord, in our hearts for your word, oh God. Father, I pray, oh God, that when we open your scriptures, Lord, and we look into it, Lord, the light of the Holy Spirit will shine, oh God, and words will jump out into our spirits, Lord, and we will hear the voice of the Lord. The scripture says this, that morning by morning, you awaken my ears as the ears of the learned, that I may hear, oh God. Habakkuk chapter 2 says, Behold, 
know I stand on the ramparts to hear what the Lord shall say to me. And Lord, I pray, oh God, that you would speak, Lord, to your children through your word, oh God. Receive that right now in Jesus' name, oh God. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And Father, we just bless you. We give you praise, glory, honor. Amen.